It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible horror movies. If you've made a movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take a popular HBO series and try to turn it into a full-length movie? Why you get Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. Hello, kitties, and welcome to a new episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. Well, this is a treat for me because this film in general was one of my favorite films growing up. I mean, it was released when I was a teenager, and, and I really remember that this film, like, scared the living crap out of me when I first saw it. It's not that bad nowadays, and uh, maybe if it was in a big theater, I might be a little more freaked out. But it's definitely that Tales from the Crypt uh, that I loved when I watched the HBO series as a kid. And this was its first try, really, at doing a full-length feature. Well, how did it pan out? What went on? What was the story about? What was it going to be? I really thought that maybe they would take one of the more obscure comics and turn it into a full-length film. Now, if you ever watched the series, you would know that it was kind of loosely based on the Tales from the Crypt comic series. And it always had a special flair. Uh, it's always had its themes of, you know, kind of redemption for your characters. Or, in general, you kind of reap what you sow. So I was really curious to see what would happen in this film. Another great thing about the Tales from the Crypt series was that you had a lot of actors who randomly showed up in the episodes that were pretty famous for the time. One notable character was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He showed up in an episode, and I was very surprised that he would even do something like this, being the big action star that he was. Overall, a lot of it was very tongue-in-cheek, but the horror aspect of the show was very well planted. I mean, you 
could get an episode like the Santa Claus episode, which was relatively freaky, or you could get a very, very funny episode that you just enjoyed on the merit of the story itself. And that's kind of where we're going to lie in this series. Well, I should say in this movie. Does it take itself too seriously? Is it too funny? Where does it stand in the pantheon of horror movies? Well, let's go ahead and get this movie started. So we open up on a bedroom scene, and there's a lady that's lying on a bed, well, you know, somewhat nude, and she's talking on the phone over what she's just done. I did it, Jack. I did it. And you know what? It got me hot. No, I'm not kidding. You should have seen the look on Carl's face when I buried that axe in his chest. Oh, killing him was almost better than sex. Okay, what's with this bullshit? I mean, I kind of don't get it. This really isn't a story about demons or anything. It's just some lady killed her husband and now he's rotting in the bathroom back there. It's bubbling. The effects are kind of decent. And then, of course, the husband gets up and... You know what? Actually, this is pretty standard Tales from the Crypt Fair. Okay, let's go ahead and enjoy it. So we watch this zombie get out of the tub, and he starts going towards the bathroom where, I guess now his wife, who has killed him, is enjoying her nice bath. And there are those 80s, or I should say 90s, fake boobs right there in your face. She screams as it comes close, and then what the hell? As a matter of fact, I do call it acting. Well, let me tell you something, pal. You're no Gory Cooper. You ain't even a Robert Deadford. Another take like that, and it'll be back to bit parts for you, and I won't say what bits I'm talking about. <sighs> All right, everybody. Reset. Oh, it's our friend the Crypt Keeper. You guys remember him. Oh, and who is the guy that's playing the dead husband? Why, it's none other than John Larroquette. And that kind of makes the scene funnier if you know who the actor is. I mean, he's most famous for Night Court, but he's been in a ton of films as well. And the whole idea behind, you know, somebody famous being in a Tales from the Crypt episode, kind of doing a bit part is just run here as a gag. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, and But the puns, that's probably the thing that... I despised most about the series, and a lot of people probably liked it a lot. I can understand it. You get a couple puns here. You don't get much of the Crypt Keeper, at least in the series. He always just kind of introduces the episode and does an outro. So it's kind of cool that here he is, and he's doing the intro to the movie. I give, and I give, and I... Oh, hello, kiddies. So glad you could join me. Your old pal, the Crypt Keeper, has gone Hollywood in a big way. Can't to see what I've been working on? And then, of course, we get some visual puns after this. And it just goes off. And honestly, the Crypt Keeper in this scene kind of seems like a dick. I guess that's what getting the director chair will do to you. You have all this control now over your movie. And you can treat people the way that you want. And when you're an undead zombie, I mean, you can go ahead and just either... Kill somebody off, I guess, or treat him like other shit. So, Mr. Creepkeeper, uh, or can I call you Crip, or Mr. Keeper, what should I call you? Well, since you're... 
why don't you help us get this movie starting with some of your delicious puns? So if you're ready, creeps, fasten your drool cups and hold on to your vomit bags. We're going to the movies! Frights! Camera! Action! I'm surprised there wasn't that little laugh that he does at the end of that. But we actually now open upon the movie. In a car chase, where we see our protagonist, uh, Breaker, played by William Sadler, being chased by the character known as the Collector, who is Billy Zane. So, they drive, they move around, I don't, I don't know, it's kind of a boring intro scene or a boring chase scene. You just see them drive by and you kind of get the credits that are going on. You find out that, hey, Jada Pinkett Smith is in this movie. This time as Jada Pinkett, because she had not yet met or, I should say, maybe at least married Will Smith. Uh, and they get to the point where they get in a giant crash. Uh, before the crash, Breaker is able to get out of there. And he moves on uh, trying to get away. You're not quite sure what's going on in this situation. And I'm pretty sure that it will be uh, explained a little while later in the film. Now, I'll tell you beforehand, before we go any further in this film, and it's not anything to do with the movie specifically. It's to do with the clips that I'm going to be using in this movie. Now, I grabbed a lot. And there are going to be a lot because I felt they were very pertinent to what was going on in the film. The other thing is, there are a couple of clips that are a little lengthy, so please bear with them. And especially one of the bigger plot points in this movie, I wanted to actually leave the whole section in, and it does run quite a bit. Uh, but it's very important to the movie, especially if for some reason you didn't watch the movie before you listened to this. It'll explain a lot of the lore of what everything means. So, uh, now that we're past that point, and I've explained it to you. Let's continue on with the movie. So Breaker ends up in this little podunk town. I believe this is in New Mexico. And he finds uh, a couple of cars just kind of laying out there. And so he decides, hey, why don't I go and try to steal one so I can run away? And while he's trying to steal one, he's interrupted by Danny. One of the characters we're only going to see for a little bit, but we will see later again in this film. What you doing, mister? Are you stealing my daddy's car? Stealing? No, I was testing the lock. Seems to be working just fine. Hey, kid, you want a quarter? How about a shiny new quarter? You want one? Come on. Dad, there's a guy outside stealing your car! Okay, now, really, is a quarter gonna really, you know, make a kid want to not tell his parents? Especially when he knows that you're trying to steal his fucking car? That makes no sense. Maybe you could have offered him, like, 20 bucks. Hey, here's 20 bucks. Especially when he goes to the hotel later and he's got a roll of fucking hundreds in his pocket. I mean, a thick roll. This guy is probably a pimp somewhere and he's just being chased down by one of the Johns that uh, maybe, or maybe it's backwards because that sweet-ass fucking cowboy hat that Billy Zane was wearing in his car during the car chase, maybe he's the pimp and he got the money stolen from him. So, you know... He doesn't want to give up, Breaker doesn't want to give up the money and thinks maybe, hey, this is a podunk town. Here, kid, have a quarter. But honestly, you got to give the kid something else if you want him to actually, you know, not say a thing. So Danny warns the parents and that causes Breaker to just run and try to hide where he runs into Uncle Willie. Him and Uncle Willie share a drink in the alleyway 
And Uncle Willie tells him that he's got a place that he could, you know, stay at for the night. So while Uncle Willie, of course, that's going to also come back later in this movie, uh, are traveling to the, the inn, we cut back to the cops seeing the wreckage on the road. So they're trying to figure out what exactly happens. And then randomly, Billy Zane pops out of the wreckage and surprises both of the cops. Holy shit. Hey, mister, get away from there. Where the hell you come from? This is my car. It was my car. Did you see him? Walking into town, the guy I was chasing? Airbags, gotta love him. Did you see him? We didn't see anybody. Now, wait a minute. Are you telling me that that guy over there walked out of here, too? Hey, where the hell are you going? You got a few questions to answer. All right, look, officers. The man I'm chasing, now he's dangerous. If he's in your town, you got a problem. Now, we stand here arguing about a traffic accident. Do you mind? Something awful's about to go down over there. So, Billy Zane has some weird breaker type of sense to where he can figure out where he is and where he's going. Kind of neat. I kind of want that ability, to be honest with you. I mean, if you were wanting to stalk somebody or something, then I guess, you know, you could know exactly where they were at all times. Oh, that's great. That's going to be part of the new stalker kit, Billy Zane's people-finding ability. Well, here also is part of, I guess, my little complaint with this movie and now watching at this point are the character tropes. And everybody's really some type of stereotype. And I understand what they're kind of going for here as we get later in the film. And I'll probably explain it a little later on. Or at least what my thought process is with it. But right now we've got the sheriff and his bumbling idiot sidekick. You know, he seems slow. He seems like maybe he's just there. Fucking Dukes of Hazard, And that's his Roscoe P. Coltrane to the boss hog of the movie. So, of course, he takes Zane, uh, well, the both of them take Zane in the back of the cop car, and they start going towards wherever Breaker is. Uh, we cut back to Uncle William Breaker now showing up at the house, and they're met by a couple of the other characters now in this inn. Uh, one is Cordelia, who happens to be a whore, and I'm not saying that she looks like one, she really is a whore. And we meet Wanda, who is the proprietor of this place. Of course, she doesn't like really renting to people that she doesn't know, but she'll do it for a hefty amount of money, which Breaker, again, pulls out that fucking wad of hundreds. See, you could have given the kid fucking more than a quarter. Uh, And uh, she willingly takes him in. She asks him his name. He says that it's Smith, and she just goes along with it, though she does give him the stink eye for giving that name. We all introduced to Jada's character, Geraldine, who's busy cleaning the stove in the back, but she's not really doing any type of work. Wanda seems to be a very big hard-ass on her, and Jada, she seems like a huge punk. And since that she is, Wanda tells her that she needs to show a Breaker to his room. She does so, and she gives him a little attitude, but Breaker begins to acting a little weird. All right, let's see. What do I need to tell you? What am I looking at? Which way is town? Town is that way, and you're looking at nothing. But I'm sure you didn't come here for a view now, did you? But here's your key. And the concierge will bring up your bags momentarily. Geraldine and Breaker are upstairs. Cordelia is wondering what's kind of interesting with this Breaker guy. 
and I don't know why I decide all of a sudden to start talking like a redneck, but really that's kind of what we get in this town where the names of the people are. Uh, but seriously, she asks to get her laundry done from downstairs, and Geraldine, when she comes back, she refuses to go and get it. Uh, instead, we meet Wally, who is the postman uh, that has problems with, I guess he just recently got fired, and he's got problem people to town, he doesn't believe he should have been justly fired. So, and you can honestly tell that he is in love with Cordelia. I mean, it's from the moment that you meet the character when he walks, uh, well, I should say when Breaker kind of comes into the situation. Wally then is downstairs and get Cordelia's laundry for her so that she doesn't have to worry about it. Cordelia's a little touch, and she thinks that maybe she should offer him... Poor guy. Hey, maybe I should give him a freebie. Hmm, Just what he needs. Someone else screwing him. Okay. This is the type of humor that you're going to get in the movie. And there's some really funny parts and there's some really cringy parts in this movie. That's probably one of the more cringy ones, but the pun is kind of sweet because, you know, he's just been screwed over by the post office by getting fired and she's willing to screw him. Get it? Get it? From this back into the cop car and the cops are talking with Billy and trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Exactly why were you chasing him? He's a thief. What the hell did he steal that had you going over 100 miles an hour? Must have been pretty valuable. It is. Okay, so he doesn't say anything at all, and we're already going to assume that they understand what he took was really valuable. And that they're okay with chasing this guy down and helping him after he's managed to walk out of an accident that he was doing 110 miles an hour in? How did he survive? I know he said airbags, okay? I get it. But, really, how did he survive? Do you guys not get this? Are you guys that dim-witted? I mean, nobody expects the supernatural, but honest to God, somebody that was traveling at 100 miles an hour and rams front first, basically he T-boned the shit out of a breaker, and yet he's okay? He has no scratches on him? His clothes aren't even singed from the fire. I mean, it was a pretty big fucking fireball if you look at it. So, something had to happen and the cars are still fucking on fire when the cops get there. It makes no sense. Why would you be so trusting to be like, okay, I'm just going to let you get in the back of my car, uh, you know, and when we get to the hotel too, or when we get to where you think we need to go, uh, I'm just going to let you come in with us nothing else not gonna worry about it not saying hey let's leave you in the cop car we're gonna cuff you and then we're gonna go get that guy we'll take him down to this nope nope none of that of course that's not gonna happen so we cut back to where i should say this too the whole movie the rest of this movie is going to take place which is in this hotel so we're in the kitchen they're eating some slop and there's another nice little joke that does have a little more of a visual cue with it God damn it. Get that pussy off the table. I meant the cat. You get it? Because Cordelia was sitting on the side of the table trying to turn Breaker into a John. But of course, that wasn't going to happen. And there's this random cat that's been running around. We also get to learn a little bit more about Jada's character, Geraldine. I swear that girl ain't got no goddamn gratitude. If I hadn't made a place for her, she'd be behind bars or dead. Okay. So, she's a criminal too. 
So you've got a criminal. Of course, you get that badass type of acting that Jada does in this film. And to be honest, I understand that's one of her first roles ever, really. I mean, I think she had done Menace to Society before this movie. She uses that kind of stereotypical typecast role and that badass type of uh, punk kid role for this movie. But it's really not acted very well and i know that she could do a little better and maybe that's just the direction that she got and this is what we're stuck with she's supposed to be an ex-con you know and you're leading to more of the tropes in the house and really you're kind of finding out the entire house is a bunch of losers i mean from wally who gets fired from the uh, post office cordelia the whore willie the drunk and uh geraldine the thief well the criminal, I should say. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. Uh, you've got all these mif- misfits that live in one little house. And Wanda really is the only one that's actually pretty well off. And I guess she has a heart of gold because she allows misfits to live there. But she seems kind of like a badass too at the same time. And she's got that snappy attitude that a lot of you know uh, these characters are presented as. She's kind of, I really don't know. I mean, she's like comic relief in some points. And she has one of the funniest fucking scenes in the entire movie towards the end of the movie. And then she's just got her kind of stereotypical, like, I'm Big Mama, right? And I'm the one that rules everything over here type of scenes too. So it's weird. I don't get the character that much, but she seems the most well off out of all the characters, or at least the most stable out of everybody that's there. It's at this point that we're also introduced to our last character of this film in Thomas Hayden Church's Roach. Now, he looks like a Kevin Bacon ripoff in this movie. I mean, he still looks like Thomas Hayden Church and definitely a younger version of him, but I really remember him mostly being Sandman and I actually forgot that he was in this movie too. It's weird. Two people that kind of became big stars. Not total big stars, I should say. You know, Thomas Hayden Church, sideways, he's great in that movie. And he's pretty good as Sandman and Spider-Man. In the, possibly the worst Spider-Man out of all the Spider-Mans. But you don't really, you know, you don't really imagine him being in this type of movie. And then you have Jada Pinkett Smith, who already did a great role, like I said, in menace to society she was also in jason's lyric and later on she'd be a part of the matrix films where she was just kind of okay so you you have them starring in this truly like be a horror movie and it's weird that they have such forgettable performances that i don't remember being there but i do remember the characters i just don't remember the actors because i remembered some things that happened later on in the film Anyway, I'm getting really off topic once again. We also come to find that he's Cordelia's boyfriend. But of course, he's the badass. He's the little bad guy that you will want to date when you're a woman in these type of movies. Of course, it's the whore's boyfriend. You know, the way he treats he supposedly treats her real good, but he probably treats her real horrible. And that's why Wally fucking loves her. Well, maybe not because he treats her like shit, but because he believes that he could treat her better than roach can of course well he's not alarmed for very long so he decides to take cordelia upstairs and well you know get to it i guess he's the one that gets the freebie all the time 
there's more talk in the kitchen of cons of what's been going on and we kind of learn more about Geraldine. He's really holding on tonight, isn't he? Okay. So what were you in for? I'm not passing judgment. Stealing. Okay. So she's a thief. Remember, I got ahead of myself there. But we, that's what we learn here. And we kind of now have our tropes all together. Also, we get to hear the loud fucking from upstairs from Roche and Cordelia. So now we have kind of all of our tropes together in this whole movie. She's the thief. You have Wally, the love-strung idiot. You have Roche, who's the asshole. You have Cordelia, who's the lost soul. Wanda, who's big mama. Dumb cop. Uh, bossy cop. And then you have Breaker and the collector. As well as Danny, who's going to be coming back later in this film. Now... At this point, we get Cop and Dumb Cop, along with Billy Zane, they bust into the place and they try to get Breaker into custody, but he ends up pulling a knife on Geraldine, which in the movie doesn't seem like something that Breaker would really do, but he threatened to end her life if the cops don't let him go and put down their guns. Drop the guns or I'll kill her. Don't! I said drop your goddamn guns! Won't do it. Hell, I won't. I know this man, Sheriff, and he absolutely will not do it. Okay, how do you believe the evil man that's back there and that this guy's not going to do it? I kind of understand if it were some, like, regular-looking guy, but Billy Zane looks like he's evil all the fucking time. Especially with that goddamn cowboy hat and that fucking trench coat that he's wearing. There's nothing good that could really come up to anything that comes out of his mouth. So, of course, he doesn't kill the you know, Geraldine, and they're able to subdue him. Uh, the main sheriff, he manages to get into his pocket and finds his ID. Well, 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 Mr. Breaker. Pleased to make your acquaintance. Lying son of a bitch. Said his name was Smith. Okay, Wanda, fuck you. I kind of understand that you may have been like, maybe you're just trying to save face in front of the sheriff here, but honestly... Did you really believe that his last name was Smith or that his name in general was Smith? That's the most common pseudonym that anybody not looking to get in trouble uses. I understand too, you have a house full of fucking losers and probably, you know, uh, future cons, especially in Geraldine supposedly, that you're trying to protect. And now you just, I'm going to take his money. Okay, his name's Smith. I'm going to believe that. And then when somebody comes down... He told me his name was Smith. That lying son of a bitch. Oh, come on. Get off your fucking high horse. Now that Breaker's in custody, Zane wants to get back the artifact that was stolen from him. The rest of the gang, they go ahead and look around the house. But of course, Deputy Bob here, he's gone around and walked in on Roach and Cordelia getting it on. Freeze! Oh. Christ, Bobby, son of a bitch! Turn it off! Turn oh, it off! Sorry, God, go! My nipples are smoking! Get your clothes on! So Bob brings them downstairs, which I don't really get, because they weren't doing anything unlawful, unless hooking a car battery to your nipples is something that the law doesn't really look kindly upon, which I assume that's okay, unless it's used as a torture device, not while having sex. So... The sheriff gets mad at him. They can't find the key. And Uncle Willie finally realizes that, hey, 
I know where it's at, and pulls the key from out under the table beneath Breaker. The sheriff pulls Bob off to the side, and he explains something new that he found out about Breaker. Now, Bob, this Breaker fellow's getting more interesting by the minute. According to the computer, Frank Breaker died over five years ago. While this conversation's going on between the sheriff and Bob, Willie is going to give the artifact over to Zane. Now, there's something inside of the artifact that Zane doesn't want in there and is asking him to pour out. So Willie begins to pour it out of the artifact, and he's stopped by the sheriff when the sheriff explains, See, both those cars were stolen, so we are going down to the station and we're going to sort this shit out. Sheriff, you're making a big mistake. It won't be the first time. Sorry for the inconvenience, everyone. It's really like the man said, if you knew who I was, you we'll find out soon enough. Why wait? It's at this point that Zane punches him right through the fucking skull. And the effect is really good. I mean, for 1995, this is pretty good practical effects. You get the, the whole comedic aspect of this scene also happens. Because Breaker's trying to get out of the handcuffs in the corner. Bob is in shock, trying to get his gun out to shoot Zane. And Zane, he's trying to get his arm out of the sheriff's head. And he's just dangling there. And then this is where you have the two worlds of practical effects in this movie and makeup. You have the really good effect of the fist going through the head and creating the hole in the sheriff's head. Then you have him with the head trying to get it off of his body. And it looks like a pretty fake head. So you get that B-moviness and you get some really top-notch, I wouldn't say AAA, but well-done practical effects for a movie made in 1995. Uh, so there's some hustling, tussling. Breaker gets free. He manages to get the artifact back from Zane, and when he's put in a corner, he actually puts it right up against Zane's face, which burns him. Zane flies out the window and then shows his true colors. Human, you're not worth the flesh you're printed on. Fuck this cowboy shit. You fucking hold dunk, hold dunk. Well, they in there, motherfuckers. All you have to do is give me the goddamn key! Then we could get on with our lives! Alright, this property is hereby condemned. So he slices a part of his hand and out drops this green goo. I would say it's probably demon blood at this point. Uh, and all of a sudden, all these demons start rising out of the ground. And the practical effects here too, they're pretty damn good. I mean, the demons, even the makeup, they keep them shrouded quite a bit. So you can't get a really good look at them, except for in a couple of scenes where I think they had the money to make the demons work. But the movements that they make, the way they rise out of the ground with the animatronics, everything is pretty good, again, for 1995. And because they tend to be really dark, and you mostly get the green eyes that uh, glow through the darkness. So... It works on a very practical level for this film. Uh, you also get the change of character in Billy Zane's character. Because he seems kind of more like a reserved uh, bad guy. But then all of a sudden, here he just starts blowing it out of the water. And he becomes a well-overacted role. And I'm not going to say that it's bad. It's not great. But it definitely is a highlight of the movie once he changes over into this Billy Zane. Into overacting Billy Zane. It's like watching John Lithgow in a movie and you see him and he's just kind of like, uh, okay. 
But then you get Third Rock from the Sun, John Lithgow, and you're like, that's relatively entertaining and funny, and it's really overacted. So they start to try to fight off the demons, and of course, uh, Thomas Hayden Church's character, Roach, he wants to run away. Cordelia, stay away from the door! You see what I mean? I mean, we can make it to my truck. No, Roach, I don't think so. Listen! You can stay here and die if you want to. I sure shit ain't. Roach, be smart for once in your life! And of course, he goes outside, Cordelia goes outside, and they're attacked by demons. There's some hustle and bustle. Cordelia almost gets snatched away by a couple, but Breaker and Wally come and save the day. Breaker uh, teaches Wally, or tells him, I should say, that you have to shoot out the eyes. And once you shoot out both of the eyes, the demons die. He does so, but he gets zapped by whatever lightning that comes out of their eyes, and he's dragged back inside. And this actually gives Billy Zane a chance again to make a quip. Need a hand? Give me the key breaker for crying out loud. Now, what you didn't notice before, and you would if you saw the film, but I didn't explain to you, is that Breaker put some of the stuff that was in the vial in the hole that covered the door. And what this actually did, it made like a seal that the demons can't walk through. Once safe and kind of sealed inside, Wanda wants to know exactly what's going on. What the hell are those things? Demons or something? Worse. Demons. Oh, that's sweet. That's just fucking sweet. And they want to kill us because of you? Well, who's going to protect us? You? Deputy Bob? Or the headless horseman over there? All right. As we stay inside and stay together, we just have to make it through the night. And that stuff's going to keep them out? There are only two things we can use against them. The blood that's in this key... It's blood? And anything that destroys their eyes. Frees their tortured souls. It's crazy! Deal with it. No, you deal with it, man. They got no quarrel with us. They just want you and that thing you're carrying. I say we give it to them. And I say they'll kill you anyway, or possess you, or use you to get to the rest of us. And like it or not, we stick together. So, it's a key. That's what the artifact is. And I'm sure that that'll be explained a little later on in the film, right? Now, with everything that's actually going on, it's weird for Roach to be so combative about how he wants to get out of there. I get it, he's kind of an all-for-me type of character, and he doesn't kind of care what goes on with anybody else. In fact, I think that he says that even a little later on. But for him to be like, oh, they just want that, and meanwhile, he's killed the, the sheriff, and they've attacked all of them, especially him and Cordelia, who went outside. Wouldn't you be kind of on Breaker's side at this point if he's saved you and he's protecting you? I understand that there's a dead guy in the room, but really, can't you just fucking go along with the program for a little bit? I mean, even Geraldine's kind of being a little bit of a whiny person at this point because she's worried that her cat is on the outside and Breaker doesn't even want anything else to come inside the house because he's trying to seal everything off to make sure that no other demons come inside. You honestly know those are demons and you're worried about your fucking cat? This causes a little riff, but they're actually able to make up. Look, I'm, uh, I'm sorry about your cat. And about before with the knife, I, I wasn't going to hurt you. <laughs> Funny thing is, is that I knew you weren't. I just had a feeling about you. <laughs> Can I ask you something? 
Who are you, really? I'm just an old man. So, they kind of kiss and make up, I guess, here in this scene. And she understands what he had to do, especially after she's seen everything. So she seems right now one of the most level-headed people in this entire house. Unlike Roach, who is just kind of still wanting to keep pressing on about stupid shit. Well, well, well. Isn't this sweet? Soiled dove and her square-jawed postal clerk. You bastard, you know that? Ain't the one who tried to kill you. Shithead. You left me out there. Well, who in the hell told you to follow me? You did, you stupid son of a bitch. You said, come on, we can get to my truck and we can get out of here. Come with me, come with me. Oh, I didn't tell you. And you basically, even in that one clip I fucking played before, you basically were forcing her to come along with you because you're the fucking douchebag boyfriend that everybody knows about. Then here you're like, oh, well, I didn't force you to do anything. Fuck you. Yes, you did. Uh, that's one of those characteristics of this character that I hate. And this is the tropes of those characters that just drive you fucking batty that I wish they hadn't used in this movie, but they did. All of a sudden, guess who decides to show up? Why, it's Geraldine's cat. And that causes Breaker to run after him. Breaker, what are you doing? Animals aren't it, dude. They can be possessed just like people. Give me the cat. So he wants to use the little key on the cat because if it's a demon then it's going to react the blood that's inside the the key itself it'll turn red and it'll either burn the person or at least you know detect that it's a demon and i think it's funny that in this world even animals can be possessed so you're not safe from anything that's out there but then of course what the animal going to do is going to kill you in your sleep with like one Stephen king movie but that wasn't really the cat that was a troll and i'm getting way off topic here so Roach decides that he's going to use try to use Wally and get the key and give it to the demons. Everybody's got to look out for themselves. Now I'm for getting out of here. No one is going anywhere to Mr. Breaker's Hey, okay. fuck him. This is his fight. Now you may want to die in this motel, but I don't. Now I want to get that key and I want to give it to those things out there. He rejects his offer to help him. And of course, Cordelia also steps in as well. And she gets kind of a beatdown from Roach. At the same time, we're also learning that the rest of the gang has figured out that there's actually a way in from the basement that the cat has been using. They always wonder how the cat was able to get in and out of this hotel. And it turns out the basement leads to some mines. And that might be a way out of the house as well. Meanwhile, in uh, the rest of the house, we have Cordelia. And she's up in her room. And she's crying because... You know, she's been beat down by Roach. And where has her life gone? And of course, you know that Wally is the one that's truly in love with her. Well, this allows Zane to get in some of his smoothest lines in the movie. Poor Cordelia. Seems downright criminal to treat such a pretty girl that way. Did I say pretty? I meant beautiful. Because you are, you are beautiful, Cordelia. Inside and out. Maybe nobody here can see it, but I sure can. I understand you. I know what you want. I know what you need. Guys like Roach, they think just because they're paying for it that they can treat you like shit. They spend the same money on dinner and a movie they can call you girlfriend instead of whore. Whore. 
What a horrible word that is to use on someone who's really just a sad girl who's looking for love. Tender, warm, unconditional love. I can give you that love as much as you can take. Okay, Mr. Smooth Evil Man here. She's easily seduced by this guy because she's such a broken character. I mean, I know she's a whore. She has her abusive fucking boyfriend. And he's able just to get in there and exploit it and turn her over to the dark side. Wally comes in to check on her. And are we really going to get some type of like species level fucking him to death? Uh, yep. You're a dumbass, Wally, and you're going to fucking die. Don't you realize this? She's changed. She's never acted this way to you. All of a sudden, she wants to open up to you. She wants to start making out with you. And you're surrounded by demons. You think you put one and one together and realize, hey, she's been possessed. She's going to fucking murder the shit out of you, even though you've saved her. And so, that's exactly what happens. Even though they find out about the mine shaft. They suddenly hear uh, screams coming from upstairs, and it's Wally being beaten to the ground by Demon Cordelia. There's some tussling. Wanda tries to pull Cordelia away, but Cordelia manages to grab and rip her fucking arm off. I mean, clean off. It looks like she got the wound cauterized and everything. Like a lightsaber just cut through her arm. Instead, a demon just pulled it off completely. I mean, there is some blood. It kind of gets sprayed everywhere. But later in the film, it just looks like it's a perfectly fine stump. They're able to get Cordelia. They're able to destroy her by shooting something into her eyes and ultimately killing her. Uh, But it leaves both Wally and her dead. And of course, this also opens up the perfect moment for Roach to be a dick once again. Is it just me? Or has everybody fucking had it with you telling us what to do? If we want to go out the mines, and we're going out that way, buddy, and we don't need your fucking permission to do it. Of course, I understand. You want to get out. The mines are the way to go if you think you can do it. But he's trying to tell you, hey, maybe that's not the safest way out. The safest way is just to stay boarded up in this house, protected by the blood and the vial, whatever it is, and just fucking wait it out. Just stay here and wait out. Stay with everybody. But if I kind of agree a little on Roach's side on this thing. Because if Cordelia can be changed, even though she's being protected in the house and she's being seduced by the Collector and the demons, then what's to say that anybody else in the house can't be seduced either? You know, he's probably going to try to figure out what other people's weaknesses are, exploit them, turn them to demons, and have them attack the rest of the people in the house. I mean, I'm not foreshadowing what's going to go on the rest of the movie anyway, right? So, everything comes down, and you know what? They decide, oh, well, Roach makes the decision, I guess, for all of them. Now listen to me, all of you. You don't know what you're up against. Go down there, I can't help you. <laughs> yeah, you've been doing a real fine job of helping us so far. Except, last I looked, we were missing Wally and Cordelia. And half her arm. So fuck you. I'm going. Of course, they all decide to go down into the mineshaft because of this. Now, I really wonder how exactly much blood there is in that key. Because he seems to just use it quite a bit all the damn time. And he actually leaves another little seal from the entrance to the mineshaft with them going outside and follows them all in there. 
He also has a flashback where there's this guy that actually has the key and he's about to give it over to a demon. Uh, he ends up not giving to because blood, I guess the blood of Christ falls down in the demon's hand and burns him. And he actually fills the rest of the, the key with the blood of Christ. So I guess Jesus is in the key. It's kind of weird, but I guess it makes sense. And since there's there's a lot more that's going to go on, and we'll find out more about that in just a little bit. So they go into the mines, and we actually find out that Willie used to work in them, and so he knows them pretty well. They go around, and uh, they run into Danny, who has somehow escaped into the mines. Well, Jada runs into him because she kind of senses that something's going on. They're also attacked by Danny's mother and father who have been turned into demons. And they find out the demons are actually in the shaft. Surprise, surprise. And they run away back into the house. They get all the way there and the mom actually, the mom who's been turned into demon, she goes through the seal and ultimately kills herself. The, the dad realizes he can't get through and then he, so he backs off from the seal. But th- there's two flaws that happen at this point in the movie. One that uh a flaw in the plan of trusting roach i i I don't know how to say it exactly but the biggest flaw i'll explain in a second so roach wants to kill the the father of danny because he's fucked him all the time with what he pays him and in doing so he uses a shotgun and actually when he kills the demon it blows up the wooden side of the wall breaking the seal allowing the demons into the house so the flaw of number one is giving fucking Roach a gun or letting him have access to a gun so that he can do some stupid shit. You might not expect it, but I wouldn't trust the guy as far as I could fucking throw him. Second thing, if the seal can be broken that easily by just tearing down a wall, why don't the demons do that earlier? Like, does it protect everything that's going on? Can they not touch certain spots? Because I know they can't go through the openings that are created. So if there's windows or door frames or anything like that, but are they not strong enough to bust through the wood of the house or the concrete of the house? Or in this case, the wooden planks that make up the side of the shaft that ultimately gets destroyed by a demon dying, right? His electrical eyes being shot out everywhere and breaks through the wall. And breaks the seal. So why wouldn't you just take one of the demons and say, Hey, guess what? You're dying for this because we need to get inside the fucking house. Poke both of his eyes fucking out. Put him against a wall and blow a hole in it. And fucking go through. (sighs) I guess they're just not as smart as some of us humans are, right? So now that Roach has fucked everybody, they decide to run back upstairs. Now luckily at one point... They had dropped a a little bit of blood at the top of the stairs, which created a seal. But now everybody is stuck upstairs, and the demons are all inside the house. Now, at this point, Roach just believes that he needs to have an explanation of what's going on, and Breaker, unfortunately, agrees. Now, this is the long clip, but it's a very important clip to the story. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. You're talking Genesis. That beginning? And the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. But the darkness wasn't empty. It was full of creatures, full of demons. And they had seven keys formed into a circle. Focus the power of the cosmos into their hands. 
until God stepped forth and said, let there be light. And there was light. And he scattered the demons. And he scattered the keys all across the universe. And we fast forward about two or three million millennia. Now the demons are back. They got six of the keys. And one day they find the seventh key here on earth. Now to save it, God filled it with the blood of a carpenter who was being crucified by the Romans. And he gave it to a thief named Sirach. The blood inside? Is that? Some of it, yeah. It gets used, you see. Sirach had to refill it. Bad neck wound. Talon caught the artery here. Most of what's in here now belonged to a soldier named Dickerson. Gave it to me in France, August 23rd, 1917. Funny how you remember the big dates, isn't it? Jeez, that uh, <clears throat> would make you... Uh... What happens when you run out of blood? They bring back the darkness. Just like that. Just like that. So, if I understand everything correctly, there was a thief. And he was going to give over the key to the demons. Because when you watch the flashbacks, the way that Breaker is kind of explaining everything doesn't quite add up. Especially the, the beginning ones. Because you're saying that God just filled it with the blood of Christ. But really, the thief had the key because he thought he was doing something... I don't know, maybe he's doing something for a job. And that also should link you back to something that I'm not going to explain yet. But if you remember what I said earlier about a character, you'd imagine that things kind of add up as well. But this thief steals the key for the demons. And he's he is reluctant in the scene to hand it over. But when he finally does or is about to, he's the blood of Christ is what drops onto the demon's hand and burns it. That allows him... Uh, to fill the bottle with the blood of Christ for God, I'm imagining, and then create a seal that the demons can't get to the key or can't possess the key. So, it's it's a good it's a good explanation of kind of what's going on. It's an interesting backstory, and I kind of wish this was a little more fleshed out, and that we got more than just that little two minute sequence. I also want to note something at this point that. Really, Roach shouldn't be upset with Breaker. Yes, the reason that they're in this situation, well, partially in this situation, is because the demons want the key, and Breaker's the one that's the the demon knight protecting the key. But, if Danny had just let Breaker steal the fucking car, then none of this would have ever happened. And if you, Roach, hadn't come out of the restaurant with your mop or whatever the fuck you were carrying and chased off Breaker, you wouldn't be in this situation. So really, it's Danny's fucking fault that everything's going on, and maybe you need to betray Danny, not Breaker. And Breaker's done nothing but fucking saved your hide the entire time. I just, uh, it, it frustrates me that that's where we go. Well, at this point, too, Danny has also wandered off, and everybody's trying to figure out exactly where he is. So, everybody runs off trying to find him, and we get another scene where Billy Zane is trying 
to seduce somebody. This time, it's Geraldine. Before I play this clip, I want you to take a notice of what random sounds that they use while he's talking. It's really weird, and I'll talk about it more when the clip is over. Do me a favor. Don't scream. Just hear what I've got to say, and then scream. You're so young. You've got so much to live for, and yet where the hell are you? You're stuck in this house. You're stuck in this town. There's a great big world out there, Geraldine. You should travel. You can see it all. I can help you. You want Paris, Rome, Athens? You got it. Of course, if you don't help me, well, that's a whole other picture. Okay, so there was a definite one at the end, and there is a little more to the scene uh, that I did cut out of this, and I'm, we're going to play another part from the scene. But there are a lot of cougar sounds that randomly show up in that scene when she's passing by stuff. It'll just go, wow, like randomly. And I don't understand what the use of those sounds are. Maybe because he's chasing after her, and he wants her, and he's hunting her down like a cat. I don't know. And well, the seducing part in the beginning doesn't seem quite to work. So he tries another approach in getting what he wants. Horrible, isn't it? You know, it doesn't have to be unpleasant. Hell, I'd rather it wasn't. All right, I know what you're thinking. You give up your soul, you turn into a demon, you look like shit. Where's the payoff, right? I'll make you a little promise. Just give me what I want and nothing will happen to you. Oh, sure. Let me just give you the key. Uh, There'll be hell on earth. Uh, I'll possibly die or be turned into a demon. But you promised me that I wouldn't. So, yeah, sure, why not? Let's, Let's go ahead and do it. No, fuck you, Billy Zane. I don't care how smooth you are. Shit, I know what you're gonna do in Titanic. I don't wanna follow you. Ugh. So they do find Danny, and he's upstairs in the attic. Again, another place where the demons have decided, oh, they maybe they just thought it's so high up. I'm lazy. I only want to come and attack either from the mines or attack through the front door. Uh, that I don't want to scale the house and go through the, the attic's window because I'm sure that possibly they didn't put the blood up there. Or maybe they did, and I'm just going to say that, you know, that's exactly what happened. They did put the blood up there because I really don't want to climb. I mean, I want to kill, I want to maim, but climbing up to a window on top of the roof and possibly getting rid of everybody in the house and getting what I need to take over the universe? No, that's too much work. I don't want to do that. So, what they also find, well, Bob and Wanda find up in the attic, is they find a stockpile of fucking guns that Wally was storing. And supposedly he was going to go, Postal? Well, waiting for that laugh. Not going to get it? Okay, well, he was going to go postal on the post office, uh, but he didn't happen to have any ammunition, though he does have some grenades. Back downstairs, uh, we see that Uncle Willie and Danny are walking together, and they are entering a room where Uncle Willie starts to hallucinate. Holy shit! Hi, Uncle Willie! Poor Uncle Willie. You've had a long, hard day, Uncle oh, Willie. Oh, I bet you use a long, hard one. Ooh, I know I could. <laughs> there you go, Uncle Willie. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Okay, I think that... I think that that song Blurred Lines stole from the music in this movie. <laughs> because the more I think about it, the more I hear it, the more I kind of put the two songs together. Uh, and then at the same time, this is where all the TNA is in the movie. Uh, this is something that I want to do a clip of, but I can't do a clip of this because it's very, very R. Uh, it's nothing but penis jokes and tits. That's exactly what this scene is. And it's what Willie wants to see. And over and over and over again, they keep talking about hard willies and Willie that and Willie this. And they're all sucking on bottles provocatively. I mean, it's really a scene that you have to see, not because of the grotesque nudity, but just kind of what they're setting up and how they set up some of the really dumb puns that you hear in there and some of the dumb jokes. Uh, It's kind of one of the funnier... Uh, fun scenes in the movie. It's the most lighthearted out of everything. I mean, hell, you even have Billy Zane here on the shtick. Suck this one down, Uncle Willie. Long, hard one. Nothing gets you fucked up fast. Am I right, guys? Am I right? He's looking at you, Uncle Willie. Oh, yeah. Good guy. I mean, it really should be like a James Brown song that's being paid, played during that scene. Uh, but it's really kind of generic. But it, even hearing it again in that, I'm just hearing blurred lines again and again and again. He is then seduced by Billy Zane into doing what he wants him to do. And he turns to a demon and he starts attacking Breaker and Geraldine once they enter the room. We cut really fast to Wanda and Bob up in the attic and Zane tries to seduce her too, but we end up actually getting my favorite fucking scene in the movie. Hello, I'm your waiter Skip. Our special today is a lovely poached appendage. Market price, of course. For starters, I recommend the finger food. Want your arm back, Irene? I can make it happen. Is that a yes? No, that's me giving you the finger, asshole. Now, it doesn't work as well on a podcast, but I still imagine my head and I laugh fucking hard at it. Um, and in fact, I'm giggling right now in the, in my head. Uh, but she, she points her stump at him. That's what she does during that scene. And it's something you should really see because it is the funniest joke in this whole movie. And the fact that she says, no, I'm flipping you off, asshole. It just makes it that much better. We then cut back to Willie, uh, choking the crap out of Breaker and they manage to cut off Willie's head, but Willie can still see what's going on. He still attacks him. Danny ultimately grabs Willie's head and sticks it through a, a deer head and causes Willie to die. Now, the animatronics for the head are okay, uh, but it's still pretty good for the time. I would definitely say that it's a, uh, you know, if I had to rate it on a scale of one to five, I'd give it a three and a half. It still looks pretty good for the time, but it's kind of a cheesy effect. And when they go and they stab it on the uh, the antlers, it doesn't look too bad. So now that Uncle Willie is dead, we cut back to Roach, who's in the hallway trying to get the attention of the demons. See, before Breaker and Geraldine ran off, Roach actually was able to slip into uh, Breaker's little pocket and take the key out. 
So currently in possession of the key, he's going to try to make a deal with the demons to get the fuck out of there and let darkness bring on. Uh, and that's when he does get Billy Zane's attention. How do I know you ain't going to kill me? You have my word. I mean, frankly, we've been counting on you, haven't we? The world needs more people like you, Mr. Roach. Thank you. You're welcome. Of course, you don't mind if we kill the others, do you? Hey, if it makes you feel good, do it. Make you feel good. Do it. Exactly. So they continue talking. He lets them go down. They talk. Uh, there's some really dumb line about him having hemorrhoids. And then, of course, Zane turns on him. That's it. Ooh, that's it. You know, you ain't such a bad fella. You ain't so bad yourself. <laughs> oh, uh, pleasure doing business with you, Mr. Roach. Well, you know this hell on earth business? Big fucking deal. I got hemorrhoids. Via con Dios. And a via con Diablos to you too, sir. Oh, Roach, there's just one more thing I forgot to mention. I lied. And of course there, Roach gets killed. Oh, who would have thought that would have happened? He betrays and fucks over everybody and fucks over the entire human race. And the demon is not going to kill him? Really? Is that what you believe? With everything that's gone on, you think that at some point that Breaker would have changed his mind, especially with the fact that everybody is dying around him, people are being turned into demons, and I know it's a uh, one for all, well, one for himself, uh, more like it, you know, type of attitude that he's got. You really have to think, wouldn't it? makes sense to just go along with the program you fucked everybody over i don't know how many times the demons have constantly tried to kill you but okay go ahead you're gonna give up everything and kind of fuck everybody else over so zane of course goes upstairs and he starts trying to find everybody but he gets shot in the eye with an arrow and falls downstairs breaker and geraldine get the key back and with danny they run up towards the attic Bob and Wanda decide that, hey, we're going to go ahead and just sacrifice ourselves and blow themselves up with all the grenades that they found in the attic and stop the demons from moving forward. So going upstairs, they're trying to figure out how they're going to block themselves up. And there's not a whole lot of blood left in that key. I guess it's about done. This is going to be it. It's going to be over. Either they're going to protect themselves or they're going to move on. And so instead of pouring the blood over the hole for protect, he pours it over one window. But before he pours over the rest, he pours it over Geraldine's hand, figures out that she was the person that he was looking for all along, that she's going to be the one that he's going to try to pass everything on to. And he tries to give the key to her. But before she does that, or she can take the key, I should say, Danny turns into a demon because of the comic book pages of the Tales from the Crypt comic. I guess he's a comic nerd, and by looking in the comic, it turned him into a demon. His makes the least amount of sense why he would turn, because unless he really wanted to be a demon in the first place, why would he turn over? I could love fucking horror movies or horror comics, and Billy Zane wants to put me in a horror movie. Fuck that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a monster, because the monsters never make it out of the movie. I'm not going to be the damsel in distress, one, because I don't feel like being a chick, and two... Uh, I don't, you know, I don't want what's going to happen to me most of the movie, have all my friends fucking die and be the only survivor. 
So no, I'm not going to want to be seduced to being into a horror movie or a horror comic, especially a Tales from the Crypt comic where it's probably coming to come and bite me back in the ass and I'm probably going to die just like Danny is in probably a couple of moments. Well, he stops the interaction between Breaker and Geraldine by basically pulling his heart throughout his uh, chest. Well, he makes a big hole in the chest. I think he's trying to go for the heart, but he's never able to do it. And Geraldine thinks quick on her feet and he she knocks Danny through the window that has the blood packed and makes him explode as he's flying out the window. So Breaker's dying there on the ground, and he's trying to pass on everything to Geraldine, but she just doesn't think that she's the right person. Breaker, look, I can't do this, all right? I'm not the right type of person for this shit. I tried to seduce you, didn't I? I tried. You're exactly the right person. So he hands her over the, the key, and she goes through all the flashbacks again. So we've gone through them once before in the beginning, once in the middle, and here again we go through them for a third time. It's kind of cheesy directing, kind of filler in my opinion, but it's also like a passing of the torch. So she knows everything up until the point that he died. Breaker has some last minute words before he does pass away. You don't know what to do. I can't tell you how long. Maybe a lifetime. Maybe several but on that day, you'll fight. And when that night is over, you'll do what I just did. Watch your back, Gerald. So, what I don't get here is he's kind of condemning her to know exactly when her own death is. And that's what he didn't quite guess get explained to him, because he never understood what exactly was going on, other than he had to run away from the Collector. So the stars that are on their hand they start out as kind of a jumbled mess in the center. They're all close to each other, and slowly but surely they move out. Now, at the beginning of the film, Breaker Star, the last one, moved out to the outer circle, and he knew that something was going to happen, but everything kind of had to line up, and everything did. You had all your tropes there, and the only person that was going to be the one that was passed on all the the thoughts and uh, ideas and and all the knowledge of being a demon knight is Geraldine, a thief. So that's where your connection is. So that's how everything kind of comes full circle, is that a thief was originally given the amulet to to steal, but ultimately to protect, and he's probably passed it on to other thieves. Now, was Breaker a thief? Well, he is in the beginning because he stole a car, but I'm not going to put that against him because he's just on the run. And that's kind of a standard, like, loner protagonist type of trope in a lot of sci-fi and horror movies. They always have something flawed about them and why they're on the, the run and why they end up with a group of people that they end up becoming friends with and ultimately passing on their knowledge before they die. And that's kind of what she's kind of condemned to do for the rest of her life. She's just going to be on the run from demons and if she's supposed to die tonight, she'll die tonight. If she doesn't, then, uh, you know, she's going to be chased uh, forever until the day of her death. That's because she's either going to have a very short life or she's going to have a very long one that's going to go on until she has the same type of night that he does. Where everybody that needs to be in this situation shows up and there's going to be one person out of those seven that's going to be the next one to take on the job of Demon Knight. And that's the night she knows that she's going to die. That kind of sucks. That kind of blows. So, Billy Zane ends up coming back upstairs. 
he realizes that Breaker is dead and that everything's kind of been passed over to Geraldine. He sees her in the corner, and before I should say that Breaker dies, he actually fills the blood in the vial with his own blood. And I guess that's also kind of passing on the torch as well. So Jada comes out of the corner, and when Zane approaches her and tries to touch her, he gets burned. And that's because she's covered herself in the blood that's in the vial. I mean, she's covered head to toe in that shit. So it's weird to think that maybe she used the entire vial to do it, but we find out that she hasn't. Because even though Billy runs away like a little bitch that he is, he still manages to get up behind her and cover her in a shower curtain and throw her in a bathtub and wash all the blood off of her. She He takes her downstairs and he starts to gloat about his new promotion. This is a special day for me, Geraldine. I waited a long time for this promotion. And I have to tell you, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it's you who could share it with me. Don't feel bad about giving up the key because by the time your race finds out what happened, well, they'll look like last week's leftovers anyway. Oh, boy. This is where we get some of the cheesier things and kind of a quick wrap-up to the end of the movie. So... She's also now stripped down to her skeevies. I mean, she's basically just wearing a midriff tank top and a pair of panties, and that's it. I don't understand why she needed to strip down that much to put the blood of Christ on her, when maybe she could have just put it on her outfit and then got it. Maybe she thought there was going to be some like type of kung fu style uh fight between him and her and she could use the blood and when she kicks him he burns and everything but but nope everything's all washed off of her and she's perfectly clean what i did fail to notice well or fail to tell you is that before she's dragged down to the hallway she actually takes a swig of the blood and holds it in her mouth uh and zane tries to get her to pour all of it and he thinks that it's all gone so he's able to get the key away from her now what follows next is some of the cheesiest music and overacting that I think the whole movie has. And it's all thanks to Mr. Billy Zane. I know what you're thinking. He's got the key. What else could he possibly want now? Hmm? I want you. You know, no one's ever brought a demon knight over the other side before. Well, not in one piece anyway. And then we find out that demons can't say the L word. Jolene. Jolene? I'm going to say something to you I haven't said to, to anyone. Jolene, I, I love you. Mm. Jolene, I love you. Jolene, do you think you could ever find it in your heart to possibly me? <laughs> Didn't think so. All right, let's... Ah, fuck it. You will die. But at least we'll be together forever. If I can't have your soul, I'm gonna take your heart. And it's at this point that Jada spits the blood right into Billy Zane's face. Now, this is a horrible way to get rid of your villain in this movie. After everything that's gone on, after everything that's been done, how they fought the demons, how they fought each other, how they've killed uh, other things in here, 
He gets blood spit on his face, and then, like the Wicked Witch of the West, he fucking, like, melts, but he turns into his demon form, and then he fucking explodes. He can't be taken out like the lesser demons by being poked in the eyes. I get that. That's fine. If that happens, he can't die, and it's, you know, I get it. He's better than everybody else, but he just has a little bit of it split on him. I mean, you think that when he touched her body and it, it got all over his hands, that that would have started the catalyst if that was. It didn't go into his mouth. I really thought that she was going to, like, kiss him, and then it was going to go into his body, and because now he's got the body of blood, uh, the Christ, inside of him, that he would explode from the inside because it's pouring through his veins or something like that. At least then I'd be okay. But just being spit on him he goes into like an epileptic shot and, and fucking explodes it makes no sense to me and it's a horrible waste of an ending uh, of a pretty good villain to this movie so now we're back to the next morning and all the demons are gone because she survived the night and she's got her arm in a sling she's waiting for the bus and before she gets on the bus of course she opens up the vial and she pours a little bit of the blood to create a seal uh, leading on to the bus because now she knows she's going to be chased just like breaker was and i guess she refilled the bottle from breaker's blood or he put a ton of it in there because to fucking lube herself up that much it must have taken a lot of blood in that vial the bus then comes to the next bus stop stops and of course this is the last part for this part of the movie no it's okay i'll wait for the next he whistles the theme song and then we see a flower on the side of the road and it's grabbed by a hand. We go down through the bottom and of course who do we run into to give us the epilogue of the movie? Ah, I love Scar Nations. You'll be happy to know, kitties, that Geraldine lived happily ever after. In fact, I even got a ghost card from her. She's traveling the world and having a fabulous time. Okay, so it turns out that she's enjoying herself being on the run because she can travel the world. I guess. It's at this point in the movie that it goes full blazing saddles on you. And it goes to the premiere of Demon Knight. So we've come full circle that we've seen the movie that he's cut together and now we're all at the premiere. And of course, there's one last pun and then the movie finally finishes. Uh-oh. I think my producers are trying to tell me something. Well, what do you know? I asked for final cut, and I got it! <laughs> now that's entertainment!
so there you have it that is tales from the crypt presents demon knight now does it hold up as well as i thought it did in some cases yes in some cases no i'm not saying that this is the best movie in the world but it's not as terrible as maybe some would make you believe and it's definitely something that you want to look at of course the final collector of the film right after you know billy zane has died it happens to be a black collector that's now chasing jada pinkett who happens to be an african-american and it's little things like that that i'm just kind of like uh. and the biggest thing that i had a problem with of course were the character tropes it's standard i i was actually kind of expecting a little more from something being a full-length tales from the crypt movie i know that they're the cheesy episodes of the tv series but i really thought that they were going to do something big it was more grandiose in terms of the scale in terms of the violence in terms of definitely the nudity uh, of the series but it seemed like just standard b-movie fare like there wasn't anything weird about it like there wasn't anything any big twists or things i expected from the series it was basically like a monster episode of the the series itself my favorite episode of the series is the santa claus episode where there's supposedly a killer that's out on the loose that's dressed like santa but you don't know what who if it's related to the people that are stuck in this cabin uh when there's a snowstorm out and it's more of like a slasher type of movie uh then it is or i should say episode then it is just kind of a monster and it's generally scary i was expecting something more like that when i saw this as a kid now don't get me wrong as a child this movie scared the shit out of me everything from the demons to the deaths to the jump scares which there aren't a whole lot in this film there's a lot more i would say tension of things to come and then the escape of getting away from the demons that are chasing them. There are genuinely scary moments in this film, but they don't affect me the same one as it being, you know, in my own living room. And two, me being the age that I am now. Whereas when I first saw this, I was more susceptible to some of that stuff. And of course, you know, my juvenile male young mind at that time loved the Uncle Willie scene and loved the beginning scene as well. I don't have to explain to you why, but, you know, it's one of those things. I still think the Uncle Willie scene is a funny scene. It's just a little over the top uh, when I look at it nowadays. So, overall, I'm going to give the crap factor of this movie a 2 out of 5. It's really not that crappy. It's got some really good uh, special effects in terms of the practical effects, and it's got some really well-acted parts. Breaker is kind of your standard you know, person, the person, the, the actress that plays Wanda, I think she's given uncle Willie's character is a little cheesy, but he acts it pretty well. And Billy Zane, of course, steals the whole fucking show. I, there wouldn't be a movie without Billy Zane, to be honest. Yes, it is a little bit of overacting, but I think it's what the movie needs. And especially when he changes over from his rough and tough type of stalker, bounty hunter, cowboy role into his more fun loving demon role that it really starts to take off and he really kind of comes into the role himself uh the fun factor in the movie it's a four out of five it's a really fun movie with fun deaths with some funny jokes fun characters that just like i said they're just standard tropes that maybe shouldn't be in this movie but the ones that really do work well work very well thomas hayden church actually does a pretty good job of being the asshole boyfriend uh, and the guy that ends up betraying everybody like Judas. 
Uh, and Jada Pinkett Smith, as much as I think she's a little stiff in this movie, I did come to like the character towards the end, though her arc could have been a little better, though it was kind of explained a little more when she had her little seduction scenes with Billy Zane. I give the gore in this movie a 3 out of 5 because there's some really good gory effects with the head being punched off and the arm being ripped out. But beyond that, it's mostly demon death. Um, And there's a a couple of times where it's, you know, it's a little more. Like, I would have liked to see Thomas Hayden Church maybe torn apart instead of him just kind of disappearing to the background. The scene that's kind of does look good and is a little disgusting is in the second half of Jada's seduction scene where you see uh, breaker on the wall and his uh, stomach's basically ripped open the demons are eating him uh and that makeup effect is pretty damn good uh so overall i'm giving this movie uh two different scores my nostalgia score is a four long hard willies out of five uh i still really like this movie i think nostalgia plays a lot into it but if i have to look at it subjectively it's more like a three or a three and a half out of five uh it it doesn't hold up in terms of the tales from the crypt sequences the beginning and the end it for the time to make it more like the tv show i get it but some of those puns are really bad and it's kind of cheesy and you may really like that and like i said those weren't always my favorite portions of the tales from the crypt episodes and it's neat that they did do it like a long movie where you get the tales from the crypt intro and you get the tales from the crypt outro uh and i have you know but beyond that you know i really think it's kind of somewhere in between there so i think overall i'm gonna give it three and a half hard willies out of five both accounting for the nostalgia factor and the nowadays factor so next week uh actually next week next episode we are going to be looking at a submission by scott crawford and the movie is called the mutilator what do you say? Four days of R&R at the beach. I'm in. She's in. I'm in. Sounds good to me. I got a bad feeling about this. They thought their vacation would be fun. They were wrong. Dead wrong. He's what's called a trophy hunter. Boom, 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 boom. Dad used to tell me that he'd hunted everything but man. Hey.
on January 4th of 1985. It has a very short running time and should be very interesting to see. Uh, it was written, directed, and produced by Buddy Cooper and all co-directed by John S. Douglas. This movie is also going by the name of Fall Break. Uh, and uh, I found it on YouTube for rental. Uh, you can also find it on Amazon Instant, and I'm pretty sure that you're able to rent it on iTunes. I did not see it on Netflix. I kind of wish that it was. Uh, you probably could get the disc, but if you wanted to go for streaming, I don't think you're going to be able to find it. Uh, so thank you very much for listening to this episode. Uh, I appreciate everybody that does. Always, you can check out our Twitter. It's uh, T underscore T underscore podcast on Twitter. Check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast. And you can see the video review, my very first video review I did of a movie called Hell and Back, which is an animated comedy with kind of horror tropes uh, that I really enjoyed. It's got a lot of comedians that I like in it. Uh, I didn't think it was right for the podcast because it's not really a horror movie, uh, but it has all those themes in it that uh, I thought would make good for a nice little mini review. So go over there and check it out. Uh, You can also find it on YouTube if you want. Just search Hell and Back Review. Uh, and it should pop up from uh, my personal YouTube channel if you want to go that route, if you don't want to go to Facebook. Uh, you can also check out every other week, uh, do a podcast with my co-host Patrick called It Be Like That. It's available on the Spreaker channel as well. And please, if you could, please leave me a review on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spreaker, or uh, Stitcher, as well as Blueberry, just to kind of give me an idea of where I should go or what I'm doing wrong, what I'm doing right. It also helps when you put a, do a review on iTunes, it'll allow me to be seen by more people. Okay, well, thank you all for listening again. Next episode is going to be The Mutilator. Bye until next time.